0: Welcome to the Home and Home Podcast. We are taping this on a Tuesday afternoon live from Radio Row here at the Super Bowl. John, how are you doing? I'm good. There's always the weird time of year, Ollie, where it's
1: like I am uh, you know, knee deep in draft stuff. You know, I jump into it pretty much pretty much when the playoffs start. But then as teams whittle out of the playoffs and there's less games, it's even easier for me to dive deeper into draft stuff and there's less preview and wrap up NFL stuff to do. And then you've got the two week break before the Super Bowl. And so I'm all in draft stuff, and then I'm like, oh wait. Super bowls this week. Yeah. So it's always like this pulling myself out of there. You're there. You've been able to be there in Arizona, which is pretty fun uh, coming over. I know you're a little jet lag, but you're going to power through this pod, man. I believe in you.
0: Yeah. I think it's uh, I, uh, just let me check what time it is locally. Now it's 11 a.m. Whatever time zone this is. It's not Pacific. I know that it's, mm-hmm. is it mountain or something? It's, it's one of the, the other unusual ones. I am it, already mountain, three. Yeah. Yeah, I'm three coffees deep already. The jet lag is severe. It was a 12-hour flight um, from the UK over to to Phoenix, Arizona, but it's a fun time. We actually have a viewing party right now where people wanted to watch me and you do the podcast. I've had four or five people come up to me already saying oh I really love the pod the pod is awesome and it's like great cool And then they said can we can I sit and watch it happen in real time I'm like but you will only hear my side of the conversation maybe just download it in two hours when it's out so I've tried to <laughs> shoot people away I don't do great broadcasting when people stare at me um so but we can dig into it we can dig into it where do you want to begin yeah. in terms of Super Bowl talk
1: I guess we start with just talking about the injuries real quick, probably just to give people an idea of where things are at. It, it seems like the chiefs are going to be what close to uh full strength. I think it's today. The first, we got those weird injury reports that I don't remember from past years. Do you remember that where they like list the player as doubtful the yeah. first week, at, like before media day. I don't remember that in past years happening. I don't know if that's a new thing or yeah, what that was, I think but, that's but a Nicole new Hardman thing. was listed as doubtful.
0: Yeah. I, Last night, Ligerius Sneed confirmed he's okay. He's out of concussion protocol. Kadarius Tony confirmed he's okay and he's going to play. Um, now, how healthy, doubtful versus questionable versus all the little axioms the league uses to, to, to say someone's not fully healthy. I think they're all going to play. I would be really surprised. I, I don't think Nicole Harbin would be the most... If, if that's If the Chiefs get to Sunday... With McCall yeah. Harbin being the only real injury concern, that's a pretty big win for them coming out of uh, what was kind of left of the roster after the AFC title game.
1: I agree completely. Um, it, and the Eagles, I think it's they're looking at a pretty similar situation, it seems like, even though we know some players like Lane Johnson and Lane Dickerson aren't going to be 100%. Uh, they should have most of their cast, it looks like. I don't think anybody of consequences that been, hasn't been has been lost before the playoffs will be lost for this game. It seems like a hard one for the Chiefs, but it looks like Juju Schuster is going to play. Kadarius Toney is going to play. LeJarius Sneed got cleared, so he should play. And obviously the injury everybody will be looking at is the one to Patrick Mahomes. They won't be looking at the one with Jalen Hurts, but I do think that's one that, you know, he hasn't been 100% either. So it is going to be kind of an interesting footnote to this game, especially if either quarterback struggles is just the injury issues and how that's affected things now in this contest. But I just want to start the pod by saying huge blessing. It seems like that we are going to get mostly both of these teams at full strength in the Super Bowl. So there will be very few asterisks.
0: And it has a chance to just be exceptionally fun. The, the, The bar for what this game could be, with these two offenses, is legitimately in play to be like just a complete shootout, as fun as football can possibly be. So I think we should just go through, let's just go, we'll have a free open conversation, but we'll bounce through offense, defense, both teams, and kind of how they match on both sides of the ball. I think we should begin with the Eagles offense, because I think that side of the ball, Eagles offense, Chiefs defense, for me, really sets and will define the tone of the game of... Is this an out-and-out shootout? And Mahomes is left saying, can I keep up against this pass rush, against this defense with limited pieces compared to what Jalen Hurts is working with? Or is it going to be a case where the Chiefs find some kind of answer and you you bring the score level down? I, I find it tough to think that the Chiefs could go completely toe-to-toe with a 35-32 game or something like that. I think that they probably do need it to be um, a 31-28 style of game for them to win.
1: And then this matchup, oh, there's a lot of compelling factors I think here, but number one, and where we usually almost always start, and where I think it's good to start when you're breaking down these things is up front, because the trench play matters so much, we've seen it determine the outcome of, of the majority of games so far in the playoffs. It's outside of quarterback where, and I do think there's a tightening up of things at quarterback in the NFL. Where like you don't see these crazy games like you see in the regular season that often for quarterback play. It's a, it is a little bit more measured. It is a little bit harder to just nope. Quarterback is going to put the team on his back and roll through the playoffs. Teams are too good. The coaches are too good. The schemes are too good. You usually need a little more components than that. Uh, to be able to go all the way here. And you've got in this situation, a uh, 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 offensive line in Philadelphia, that is probably the best in football. I, they really don't have a weak link. And that's one of the, the best aspects of them. I think Elaine you know, Johnson's probably their best player, maybe Jason Kelsey, but they really don't have anybody that's exploitable. And I've often said that it's great to have high end players in the offensive line, but the best thing about an offensive line is when you have no weakness, like if everybody's just rock solid to good, you know, that's better than having two great players, in my opinion, and then, two, you know, two bad players or two players that are below average or average, you know, and so, and I don't even think like the way that Isaac Siamalu has impressed and has progressed throughout his career, the way that Landon Dickerson has made the leap in his second season, Jordan Mailata, obviously one of the, even though he started the season, maybe not having his best year, one of the probably cooler stories in the NFL in terms of progress made by a player in short amount of time. Developmental uh, pieces i have been unbelievable. And then obviously Kelsey and Lane Johnson both should be future Hall of Famers. So you have five studs up front and the depth is good as well. And then when you talk about tight ends, being able to block and they're capable there. And there seems like there's a lot that Philadelphia has at their disposal just in terms of pl- pure player ability to be able to handle whatever's thrown at them. Now, the Eagles probably have the best scheme uh, are probably the sorry probably the best group of pass rushers that we've seen like in in this game but the chiefs have the best player in chris jones so where do the chiefs deploy chris jones how do they deploy him how often do they deploy him in different spots is going to be key where they could attack a ton of weaknesses in cincinnati that isn't necessarily the case so it their usage of chris jones in this game i think as a guy who we talked about last week can move around a lot has played on the edge in the past actually was a full-time defensive end and he has played reps out there that is going to be one of the like underlying storylines of the game that i'm fascinated to look at
0: yeah i want to get into chris jones in a bit more detail in just a little bit i, I want to start macro with the point you made there about the eagles offensive line and just the general structure of what the eagles do on offense because the thing for me I, I went through almost all the eagles tape uh, on that flight, John, that twelve-hour flight I mentioned before, that was what I did. As I said, I watched all the Eagles do. Um, I have a problem, um, and the thing that just kept jumping out to me is when you face this Eagles offense, which just their base concept. If you just said describing the macro, what is the Eagles offense? You would say it's just a spread option zone offense, right? Now they do a ton of mm-hmm. other stuff too, but just in kind of the general abstract sense of things, that the concern with them is the zone option plus the RPO, right? And When you face them, you come away thinking, well, the correct solutions to those base concepts, if you just took the generic zone option, the generic read option, right? Five blockers, read the end, and you either give the dive, or you keep the ball. Putting in the solutions to stop that stuff schematically, they have all the counters to wreck what would be the base construct, right? So when you face a traditional zone option team, you would say you want to close the B-gap bubbles, which is where all those players are designed to attack is the B-gaps. Mm-hmm. So you either put the bare front in right with the three guys or you run a kind of hybridized front, which is what most teams have done this season, is let's have one front to one side and then one front to another side, and they play with a two-eye, essentially a, a shaded uh, tackle. But when you do that against the Eagles... Because they have these special players up front, and they have the ability that very, very few teams at this level have, which is they can pull all five guys. So every single thing is in play, and their gap scheme concepts off the option are pretty much unlike what anyone else but Creed Humphrey can run, because their center is the best mover in the league. So you put the two-eye in to say, we are going to solve the structural issue of facing the Eagles, right? And then Landon Dixon just pins you and they fold Jason Kelsey outside. And then even at the second level where you would say to slow down the read option, you run a scrape exchange, right? The perimeter linebacker dive bombs inside and the inside linebacker folds around to take the become the end man on the line of scrimmage and fill that gap so that you muddy the read of the read option essentially you give the read, you know you give the keep read to the quarterback and then all of a sudden there's a looper coming around to, to close him down when they're able to pull and move guys in space particularly kelsey where they will fold him in inside one gap right or they'll fold them all the way to the end of the line of scrimmage there's just no stopping that and that is why i've said this to you time and time again but they schematically have i reckon 10 concepts that are unstoppable, because there's only so much you can do X's and O's wise to, to kind of fit up against those concepts, particularly in the run game, particularly when you layer on the horizontal RPO and the vertical RPO. And there's just no solutions to those those desires, unless you can just wreck shop, which leads us against that Chris Jones point. How do you think the Eagles will attack Chris Jones? Because they did some pretty interesting stuff against Nick Bosa. And what does Spags have to do to prepare for the fact that they can just freeze him out of the game, right? Some of their freeze options stuff, just leave him unblocked, make him doubt in his mind. They did that against Mike Parsons really effectively in both matchups, which was just make him stand there and pat his feet. It's all well and good having the guy who's going to wreck shop, but on one play we will freeze him and read him and say, you just pat your feet, big man, and you're not involved in the play. And the next one, you make it look like he's frozen. This is what they did against Nick Bosa. And they would just crack him with a trap, right? So they would just mm-hmm. fly yeah. anyone from the other side of the line of scrimmage. So and they can pull center, guard, or tackle. And Bosa was going, am I being the read man right now? Because they can flop the read two in the option game. That's a big thing. They can read both sides. And then he would just get absolutely walloped by a trap coming across. So I, I think for the Chiefs, when you only have one super-duper star up front, this is the problem with these guys. Is conceptually, there's nothing you can do against them. And so you have to have one player up front be the best player on the field as we spoke about last week. And then conceptually, they can kind of sort of take one guy out. So the other guys are, I think going to have to have – everyone like we have spoken about, Jones has to have an MVP-type performance. And I, I still agree with that. I think he has to have two or three massive plays. But the more I watch the film, I'm like, well, they can just kind of freeze him out for 60% of the snaps, probably. And so those other guys now really have to come to the party.
1: And that's the interesting thing about Chris Jones is that he is, as dominant as he is, is an upfield penetrating type of player. There, There is still this, I wouldn't, it's maybe harsh to call it a weakness, but like there is this th- aspect of his tape when you watch him that's like, oh, you could still use that aggressiveness against him at times. And nobody will do that better than Philly, I believe, especially when it comes to, to being able to trap him or wham him, things like that. And I think he is obviously a load when it comes to pass rush situations. But as you said, you know, this is a team that ha- will, what they'll try to do, I think, more than anything is, that option game and get you thinking. And if there's one thing you want to do against Chris Jones, and this isn't meant to be disrespectful to him at all, but he is a wants to play fast, aggressive, get up field, not have to read it, but just attack it type of player. And Philly is going to make you think they just are. They're going to make you think up front. and it's going to be, it's going to slow down a little bit of what he's able to do. I think, I think it's going to slow it down enough that if the quarterback is able to execute, I don't think Chris Jones is going to be deciding this game unless the game gets out of hand on the other side and they're chasing a lead or something like that. As long as the game is manageable and the Eagles are able to run their offense and not get away from what they want to do, game plan-wise, scheme-wise, I think they're going to be able to handle him much better than other teams have. And so, like you, I don't worry necessarily about one guy being able to blow up what Philly's done. This offense has been pretty foolproof all season long. We've talked about that at length. Um, And the other aspect of this that's interesting is Chris Jones is a is a fine run defender but this that is not where he makes his money you know comparatively to other players and there's times where he does even do you know, good things in the run game but it's not uh, – we're making tackles for loss behind the line of scrimmage, backdooring his zone scheme or things like that, and he can get in and make a splash play. But there isn't the down-to-down consistency that you'd see from some of the uh, like elite defensive tackles yeah. in the league, and he is obviously one of those as well. So if you wanted to attack him and take him out of a game and overwhelm him and and get him off his game a little bit, starting by attacking him in the run game – would be kind of a place that I would go to rather than trying to avoid him in that way.
0: And you know Philly's going to come out in this game and they're going to try to establish the run. And I think there's two things Spags can do. So going through that Niners game again, they had a decent success when they stunted and twisted or ran some kind of games. Um, Now, the issue they have is just where do they put Chris Jones? We haven't kind of touched on that because Lane Johnson will just... Gobble him up. Like Chris Jones is a right. all pro player, has been the the best interior defensive player in the league this season. And yet still and but the value they've had all season is, as you said earlier, put him in put him on the weak link. There just isn't a weak link on Philadelphia. And if you want to commit five right. guys down at the front, particularly in passing downs, I, I just not sure that's gonna be all that effective for them Um, even if you can get one-on-ones across the board against Philadelphia is that worth the investment up front when you don't think your guys can win one-on-one anyway Um, I'm not so sure maybe you know personally I think that the best thing to do in when attacking the pass pro would be to put Chris Jones on Lane Johnson hope he wins a couple of reps and just leverage the threat of Jones to try and get help with everywhere else. I the, the one thing I've been thinking about is running some kind of um bigs on the same side formation when you put all the giant fellas to one side of the formation away from Chris Jones, you put Jones on Johnson, and then you slide down every once in a while, the single mugger we always talk about, next to Chris Jones, and twist and game and stun off that to try and get someone who's just a bit twitchier against Lane Johnson to test out the groin and the abdomen injury. Is does he want to sink and bend now you go through the depth chart and you're saying, do do the Chiefs have someone who is twitched up enough at the second level to get, because we're only really talking here about can you score three negative plays, right? Can you get some pressure in his face to create some kind of chaos and a turnover? And you know these linebackers, is there someone twitchy enough where you can put in a stunt with Chris Jones, where he can slam inside. He's such a load that it absorbs so much of Chris of Lane Johnson, and then you get the twitched-up backer swooping in behind. Do they have that kind of player, do you think?
1: Well, this is where you'd love to say, you know, Willie Gay's that guy, I think, obviously, you brought him in for those athletic purposes. And, you know, even Nick Bolton, who's not a great athlete, I think there is some vertical explosiveness to him where moving in a straight line, like I think he could be effective in that way maybe. But, yeah, this is... This is kind of this is we're gonna talk about it probably a good bit, but the Chiefs linebackers, you know, how do they play in this game? Whether it's in the blitz game or whether it's in coverage, you know, uh, the compromised spots that this offense is going to put them in with the options and all that stuff for they, that they have to process. How do they handle that? Because it's been a maligned group at times, and they've looked for ways even to get Willie really off the field, and there was the suspension, and so yeah, Bolton has been one of our fair players to watch kind of progress this season. And and then some of his limitations have shown up at times, but um so yeah, who they get involved in that action with the, the chiefs have been amazing at just finding players to just do stuff <laughs> like Brian cook making the play last week. It's just like, man, where are these guys coming from? Like they weren't even contributors this year. And it just, goes to show kind of late in the process you're seeing how they won the offseason and stuff but i think you're gonna have to like those guys have to play a big role in this game i think for the chiefs defense like they're gonna have to be effective yeah. i don't think there's gonna be any way to work around that um, with those guys now how they use them is a different story and like you said if you can get them in the situation we're using them more in the rush game then i think that that could play to their, to their advantage hopefully make them attackers rather than guys that are always moving backwards in coverage
0: uh, the best game plan I saw against the Eagles this year was the Jags. The Jags in the first half, and then, and then the Eagles, because they are so special, <laughs> is they adjusted. And Mike Caldwell just didn't have a change-up to go to in the second half. And Spags, you would hope, could maybe pinch some of the stuff from the Jags early on and then would be able to you know read and react to the game in the flow as Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni adjust. But what they did really impressively, but this is, this is where it gets into your athletic conversation, right, is they had Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. And that's just a different level of athlete to what the Chiefs can put on the field, but they did what I think many people have cried out for, particularly in like the scheme nerd world, which is why if you're facing what is essentially a college offense with really difficult to defend pro principles in the run game too, are you not stealing college style things on defense, right? Um, Something we've spoken about before is the apex cover down, where you put the overhang defender between the slot receiver and between the tackle, and what you're trying to do there with a box-in, box-out defender is muddy the read for the quarterback in the option game, right? Is that guy in the box, if it's a pre-snap RPO, where is he going at the snap if it's a post-snap RPO? And it allows you, the most essential thing, more so in college, I guess, in the NFL, is you just get some body presence on that really quick-fire bang bang RPO pass play where it's the snag, the glance, the slant is you can have a big body collide with that receiver and take away that slant. So if you're giving the so whatever the read is, having that box in box out defender helps. What the Jags would do is they would align the linebacker over the slot receiver that's called a full cover down if you want to get the really nerdy parlance. But then at the snap walk them into the apex slot so not up to the line of scrimmage but into the apex slot and it frazzled Jalen Hurts a few times on whether to give it or whether to read it, and so he was giving the ball into a loaded box, not realizing he was giving the ball into a loaded box. Or if he pulled it, they could immediately bang, bang, collide the slot receiver. Now, the the Eagles adjusted and just kind of eliminated that from the game, and they were just better than the Jags in the second half, frankly. But I think finding creative solutions like that being a bit wild, being a bit wacky is the best they can do. And what you do with that is you use Willie Gay, not as superstar Willie Gay, but as a, as a chess piece to, to kind of mess with the rest of the read. And that's probably, to me, early downs their best approach. My big, big concern is when you play with an Apex cover down like that, what you essentially do is you say, on the back end, our safeties are one-on-one with the slot receiver. And then you look at the Eagles, because we're talking here about the run game and the early down portion, right? The Eagles, for the most part, they want to throw the ball in early downs. They're going kind to of throw to get yes. ahead, and then they bludgeon you with the run to put the game away. Right. So if you're going to say yeah. one-on-one on an island, this is where, to your point earlier, I think these safeties for the Chiefs, and they play all three, by the way. Brian uh, Cooks plays like um, 40% of the snaps at this point. I think they have to have the game of their lives, frankly, because I do think you have to do late walking, late movement, front stuff, stem, all that stuff just to kind of mess with the Eagles O-line. If you play one-on-one against them or even if you have an extra hat, they will just maul you. So you have to get really creative in how you kind of mess up the reads and the run fits and the the run reads for Jalen Hurts in the offensive line. But by doing that, and this goes back to my point before, that the correct structural solutions are a problem because they can do everything else at the highest possible level. And they're like rubbing their hands going, we can get Devonta Smith in the slot one on one with Justin Reed and and it's a 20 yard head start. Let's go. And that to me, playing, you know, quarters match with that late movement is the correct approach. But you are then saying Maybe your best player, because A.J. Brown can play in the slot, Devonta Smith can play in the slot. There are so many more varied route options in the slot, right? They are one-on-one with our safeties. And if you're the Chiefs, do you feel comfortable with one thorn Ill, and Justin Reed being one-on-one on an island, 15 to 18 yards off the ball against A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith? And honestly, that's something that people can track early in the game. If Spags is moving those pieces around the width of where he's put his linebackers, you, this will be off-screen, right, for most people because um, – how it's a a one-on-one safety matchup, 16 yards off the ball, essentially. But if that's what they choose to do, you need to have those guys play the game of their lives. And that just feels like a tall order to me.
1: It does. I mean, and it, it, one of the most interesting things to track in this game will just be this Chiefs young secondary that has been kind of this upstart group and has flashed a lot, obviously, in the playoffs, made some huge splash plays. Can they keep doing that? Um, and Brian Cook, I think, hopefully, a lot is on his shoulders in this game because, frankly, they need it to be. I don't think that their other safeties are going to be able to survive in those situations. And I don't know that Cook will, but I'm just saying, like, I think we've seen enough of Juan Thornhill in those spots before. I think we've seen enough of. <laughs> Doesn't Reed probably in those spots before. And again, no disrespect to them. They're not bad players, but I do think their limitations are clear on tape when they're being attacked that way. I think the ability to turn, find the football, make plays like that, not necessarily the best skill set for either of those guys. And, and in fact, I think sometimes their skill sets run into each other because of that. Like neither of them, both of them are probably better true free safeties and Thornhill can be inconsistent in that way, but it's what is like athletic and physical skills best suggests he can do and so cook is kind of this wild card anyway in the matchup where it's like we haven't seen that much of him and what we've seen of him you know um even just the play he made last week you know you don't want to put too much on one play but it's like this is an interesting player and he made other plays in that game too just being able to read and diagnose and process come down take good angles all of those kind of things so the football is tackling was one of his highest marks in college and i think it's continued in the nfl and so all that to say i'm i'm the unknowns of the chief secondary are catching people a little bit in these playoffs. And I don't know whether that will do that for Philly or not, but they were kind of this group all year. They didn't have Trent McDuffie most of the year. Brian cook didn't really play. Um, Josh Williams was playing and now he's playing a lot less. And uh, Jalen Watson you know, is, is in this role now where he's playing every single snap of the game. And, not everything's good, but he's making some flash plays here and there for sure. And McDuffie has been a revelation and come back and helped this team a ton. Um, and so they're just – and now Cook's a part of what they're doing as well. And and, and having Sneed healthy this week, would didn't play last week. And so there are a lot of – and Snead has also switched positions this season too, I should mention. He was outside. Yep. Now he's, he's back in the slot. And so there's just a lot of – hmm, how's this team going to approach and they have enough flexibility in their secondary to throw a bunch of different things at you with a bunch of different personnel. I do think just as a, as a final like side note here before I go back to you is just that Sneed is going to be a, a big part of this game plan because... He is a complex player that can play outside corner, inside. He can play in the slot. He can blitz as well, and I think that's going to be a part of this game plan if I'm Kansas City. I'm looking for ways to get him free shots, one or two in the game, a free shot at hurts. whether it's manipulating things so that they're calling a protection going the other way. He is terrific, kind of like Mike Hilton, uh, uh, terrific at not showing he's sending pressure before the ball is snapped, and I think that can be a big part of this game if they can – hit him once or twice, a free run it hurts and, and force a mistake.
0: 100%. And I wouldn't even be that, you know, Spags is the great disguise guy. They'll disguise, and one thing they'll do from those looks we were talking about before in terms of kind of the preset formation is they'll move and rotate and try to buy themselves some times to maybe get some extra layers into the defense so it's not a, a straight shot as you would play in college ball where it's like a Smith on on a, hit, on a on a Cook or a Thornhill. I will say, I think Cook, I mean, I loved Cook coming out. I think his is diagnose and attack instincts from depth are pretty exemplary. I would want him on the field as much as possible. Now, he will maybe get cooked if you put him no, – no pun intended – if you put him one-on-one on the <laughs> island against A.J. Brown, it's probably going to be a house goal. I accept that. But I think that in a one-off game – He has more potential to make a game breaking play, which is, you know, reach the ball first, punch it in the air as he did in the, as he gathered in the the Bengals game. I I think that is more likely with him on the field just because of what an instinctive player he is. And I would live with the downsides of this is all we can probably do as a defense structurally to combat this thing. And if they, they cook us, they cook us. They just have better players than us. That's just life as a coach, right? But he gives us a shot to read it and instinctively hit the ball before anyone else or make a play on the ball. And so I would, I would. I would probably up the usage of Cook, and I would up the usage of three safety sets, too. And and maybe, to your point, with Sneed as a blitzer, I, I really think the Chiefs have to go into this game with a mindset of we cannot control the Seagulls' offense. It's just too too complex, too difficult to game plan for. We need two turnovers. We need two to oh, at least three possession steals, even if that includes an onside kick or something like that, right, that they need to steal possessions. And so they're going to have to get creative in the blitz game. And with Sneed... I wouldn't be as I don't think you need to even disguise the way that Mike Hilton does where he's so special at lining up like he's not going to blitz and then come flying in from the slot. To so the point we were making earlier about going to some of those those big packages to try and isolate Lane Johnson and maybe try and stunt and twist around him. Maybe if Willie Gay isn't that guy, maybe just use Sneed in that in that package and invert um, one of your safeties. I, I think they could get pretty creative in what they can do from the secondary with their blitz package. If you watched what the Niners did, particularly against Hurts and the RPO, it was a lot of Hufanga, right? It was a lot of Hafanga attacking the backfield. They were trying to overload where the read point was. That was their approach structurally to trying to slow down the Eagles' offense. And that was another one where the structure was sound, it made a ton of sense, and they just got lit up because Dre Greenlaw was, had a disaster game, right? So mm-hmm. maybe Spaggs looks at that approach rather than the Jags approach. I think those are kind of the two worlds he's got to figure out. Am I comfortable living in four down with a safety down there? Or am I more comfortable living in four down and sneaking a linebacker in there? It's a pretty, It's a big, big call to me because... By sneaking the linebacker in, shift it, it really comes down to they have to choose in the vertical RPO game where do they want the conflict point to be. You're either conflicting your linebacker or you're conflicting your safety. Personally, having watched the Jags game, I'd want to conflict my safety and I would gamble on Cook having the game of his life. I, I wouldn't want to make the game be about really gay reading and reacting to everything great because drake Greenlaw is a really good player and he had no idea where he was supposed to be for for much of that Um, that that, uh, eagles game
1: and you know brian cook played 27 snaps in the last game and then and obviously you don't know how well, I'm playing this one, but Thornhill played 66 and Reed played 65, and then there were 66 snaps defensively in the game. So they're playing some with three safeties, um, and doing some of that stuff. And so we'll see how much if Cook plays more or less in, in this game. You know that will be telling as well. But you know, 25 of the snaps that he's on the field for were were pass plays, and so he is there. Basically using him in that specialized role, obviously, when in those past obvious situations or two minutes or all those kind of things. And what he's able to do, those are also situations where you're going to get some probably attacking type route concepts down the field. And so what he does in those situations, I think will uh, definitely be telling. But just in general, the th- question you ask a lot about the Chiefs' defense, I think, is do they have the talent? You're not going to ask this about Philly. We're going to talk scheme when we talk Philly, probably. Then do they have the scheme to be able to stop what Kansas City does well? Because I think I have some concerns for Philly over there. But in this game, I think what you're asking with the Chiefs is, I think Spags can scheme up some things that will make it difficult, more difficult than other teams have. I think he's he's aware of kind of what needs to be done. My question is, what is the, the do they have the talent? Because Philly's offense is a complete juggernaut. They have no weak spots in terms of players to attack. So there are there are very few ways to like say, oh, you're going to have a decided advantage in this. No, you won't have any advantage. Like I don't think you're going to have a single <laughs> advantage in terms of player talent. Like as good as Chris Jones is, I just think there's too much strength along the Philly offensive line. There's no weak point. And so I think you can make a play or two for sure in the game, absolutely. But down to down, play to play, you don't have an advantage in that way. So where do you win? On the margins, you know, where do you win in terms of scheme and those kind of things, and that's where Spags, I think, has his work cut out for him. Is you're going to drop some good stuff, or players going to be able to execute at that high level? It's one of the reasons I think we could see high scoring Super Bowl because I think on one side, you're I just wonder how these players will respond. These rookies and these young guys have played great. But this is the Super Bowl, and how long can they keep that going? It's not like they were great all season or heralded draft picks. You know what I mean, Ollie? Like, talent wise, like there were questions coming in, and like I I respect the fact they played great. I've given them their props, but eventually, like, there's going to come a point where, like, unless they're ready, they're breaking out right now, like that point could come in the Super Bowl. And I just think that Philly has enough pieces to really expose you if
0: you're not ready. I just don't think that the Chiefs can think that they go in with anything that they can hang their hat on and say we'll be consistent in this because the talent level the talent disparity is just ginormous. So it is about, particularly in the blitz game you're talking about there is four to five negative plays two turnovers. That that's the formula. And so how ballsy will spags be in the blitz game. It's a big question mark because then you're saying, McDuffie, you've got Brown. Let's go. And it's, as you said, I think McDuffie's been extraordinary for a rookie. And he completely Mm -hmm. transformed the defense when he came in. The whole thing took shape. And when you've got Snead and McDuffie, and he's played a lot of football now, so it's not quite like just dropping a, a straight rookie in there. That I'm comfortable with. It's the rest of the makeup, right? It's the fact that they're vets. That's more the issue. Is the the vets aren't the talent level? You'd want them to be. The rookies are playing so above and beyond what you would expect of a rookie. And it's the vets where you're gulping and going, "Oh no!" And then on the biggest stage, like you said, they kind of walk in just anticipating that the, the the rookie corners are all going to play okay. It's like okay, that, that seems that seems that seems problematic. Right. <laughs> it's it's definitely and problematic. And, and, and I think I don't. I think just just to finish, Spags can only do so much in the disguise game. That is what I really believe because it doesn't matter how much you change the picture on the back end, which is what he's so special at, right? Get to the same shell, change the picture. He basically runs what all these teams run on offense, right? It's just the same seven concepts we dress up a bunch of ways. Spags does that on defense. All the crazy rotations and all that kind of jazz. I I just don't think it's going to matter that much against the Eagles because if you don't get pressure, it doesn't matter how much you change the picture, Jalen Hurts is still – Trust me, he's played a lot of defenses whose game plan has been, we have to be as crazy as possible because we can't play these guys one-on-one, particularly dropping into zones. And it's not mattered in the slightest. He giggles back there and he carves you apart. Um, or he just throws it over your head and lets Brown go moss your corner, right? He just doesn't care. So you have to create pressure. And if they cannot do it organically, he has to have five to six designer blitz pass that he is, he is just selling out and saying, this is... a drive killing play you know after the first uh first down completion, whatever it is, where he he knows that this has a shot to get on. We will get a free runner and then we just have to bring him down. That that and or like you said, with is there a concern with the injury? Can he can he drive it beyond the blitz if there's a concern with the injury? He seemed pretty fine doing there against the Niners. He's had two weeks of recovery. He'll be shot to the gills with whatever they've got back there in, in the locker room, which uh, you know, for this game I'm all for because I want to see Jalen Hurts play really well in the Super Bowl. Um I, it's gonna come down to me to Spags having to not be concerned with the down-to-down of it all and creating four moments of magic and chaos, which is what he is the best at. And that's where it gets really mm-hmm. exciting is, I'm sure, having watched all that, I'm going, how on earth do you game plan against this? He's going to do something. I'm going to throw my hands up in the air and go, hey, he knows, because that's why he's SPACs. That's why I'm sat on the podcast at Radio Row, and that's why he's <laughs> putting another ring on his finger. Yeah. Well,
1: I think if you're in City and you win this game, let's just say even just on the defensive side, of the ball, if you're effective in this game on the defensive side of the ball, and this may be oversimplifying it, but it's yeah, I think it's because you found a way to impact the quarterback, and I don't think you're going to do that winning one-on-one battles up front. So you've got to find a way to impact and limit the quarterback. You know, obviously rushing Hurts is going to get his to a degree, but. And this isn't meant to be disrespectful to her, who I've heralded on the spot, said he's been great. But the reality is, like, you, he hasn't had to do much for this team to get here in the playoffs. That's not a knock on him. It's just the reality of how dominant the team has been and how bad some of the teams they've played have been, too. It's been a combination of both those things with the 49ers, you know, obviously losing Purdy and, you know, the Giants being, you know, the Giants are fine, but not a huge challenge to them. So just hasn't, not much has been on her shoulders. And if you are, the Chiefs defense, I think your number one priority in this game is trying to put a lot more on his shoulders and not let things get out of hand before he's had a chance. Can Will he be the hero? Will he consistently make the right? Will he consistently get the ball out on time? Or will he try to play hero ball at times if you if you um, are sending pressure at him? What is what is his response to that? And I, again, I don't think it's going to be winning one-on-one up front every single time. You mentioned um, Mike Caldwell and Caldwell coming from the, the Bulls tree, obviously, there in, in Jacksonville and Bulls drawing up consistently good game plans against jalen hurts they've limited him in the two times they've played him two of his worst outings as a pro and i know obviously he's made a big leap this year and they didn't play uh, the bucks this season and so there's I'm not necessarily saying that it still holds water for him but i'm saying Bulls has gone after him he's made yep. him uncomfortable he sent blitzes for every angle you could do he's mugged things up he's you know again he's complicated the picture for him post snap especially and made him make quick decisions and that's been what's thrown her. It's off a little bit, and I think that if you're going to be effective in this of going to do that, just be like, "Oh, we got four guys; we're going to win that way." You'd love to be able to do it that way. It's not going to happen that way for them. They've got to find ways to do it schematically.
0: All right, then let's move to the other side of the ball. Um, it's a it's a slightly murkier outlook because the Eagles have had. By some distance, the best statistical season of any defense in the NFL. You look at them being first in adjusted sack rate, right? We say everyone always says, Super Bowl comes down to who gets the most pressure, as you said, who makes a quarterback uncomfortable. And traditionally, it- It's who gets home with a four-man rush. If you just look at those figures every season, the best team with a four-man rush and adjusted sack rate, you pretty much have your Super Bowl champion, right? And the Eagles are first by a long shot in that metric, right? 11.2% adjusted sack rate. And the second place in the league was 8.9%. So they are just outpacing everyone in terms of dropping the quarterback. But then you look at who they've played and you start saying, well, they've not played anyone like Patrick Mahomes. And the big, big thing with Mahomes always is he is just totally immune to pressure. You have to drop Patrick Mahomes. His numbers when pressured are pretty much the same as when he's not pressured and and far outpace everyone in the league. And one of the most interesting figures with him is how good he is at avoiding sacks when he is pressured. He has... By far and away, the lowest sack rate to pressure rate. By far. And so I think he's, yeah, he's at 10.2% in terms of pressure rate to sack rate. Uh, the next closest is 12%, and those are guys who stink and throw the ball away. And then if you go to any of the quarterbacks who are actually good in the league, it's about 15%. It's about 15% is like a really, really good figure because guys like Herbert, they want to hold onto the ball, so they get pressured and they get rid of it before they're sacked. Mm-hmm. Mahomes is down at 10%. So you have to, have to, have to sack him. I think he's only been sacked on um, six times when he's been blitzed this season. So even when you scheme up free runners or you say we are sending everyone, this is the game plan. We know, uh, you know, we listen to the home and home podcast. We gotta drop the guy. It, we send all the pressure, and it's like we just can't we can't sack the guy. And if we press him, it's meaningless. So. That, for me, for Philly, is the game plan is, is dropping guys in coverage, the way the Bengals have done the last couple of years, is Jonathan Gannon going to be principal led and say, I'm passive on the back end, and I'm going to trust these four guys, whoever I rotate in there, to go wreck shop? Or will he, as we said the other week, you know, maybe drop an edible, uh, take a tab of acid, get a little bit funky? Because <laughs> they've not played anyone like Mahomes and my fear with them and with Gannon specifically with just what his makeup is like is that he will say no we're doing what we're doing I trust our guys and not have a curveball if necessary to be pretty creative in I think the zone pressure game more than the blitz game to go after Mahomes
1: absolutely i completely agree i think that is where the game is i don't even want to say one or lost because i'm not sure that it's a losing strategy by jonathan gannon if he decides to do this because he is so good up front and they have blitzed a little bit more this year he's been a little bit more creative but it is not overwhelmingly he is let's get the i mean he's is... like we talk about the bottom of the league in terms of talent obviously one of the best defensive players in the league, chris jones but they are Closer to that in terms of game-changing talents. And the Eagles have (laughs) just studs everywhere, basically. And so it is – yeah, I think that is one of the – especially at the key positions, right? Corner and defensive line. Like a lot of these – because you can get by with other guys, you know, guys with certain skill sets at the other positions. But those positions really matter. And they have game-changers at those positions. And so because of that, he has been able to be more – playing with what he's done and win football games i don't think that means that i'm not trying to like condemn him necessarily as a coordinator or anything like that i'm just saying that is he's been able to be successful that way and oh let's be honest they have not faced a lot of the best quarterbacks in the league during this run this season like they haven't and so this is a totally different test than brock Purdy and josh johnson and daniel jones like it just is and (laughs) and i know they have played other games in that this season but i mean this is just next level type of stuff and when they played some of the, in the few games they have played with some of the top quarterbacks in the league those have not necessarily been their best games defensively they have been cooked up a little bit in some of those games to be honest with you and what's so interesting about this matchup to me and this ties in I think with what you're saying is that the Eagles basically want to force you to be, very clean in your approach offensively, right? They're not going to give you big plays down the field. They're going to play two high safeties. They're going to rush four. They're going to be paid. They're going to wait. They're going to wait. They're going to wait. You're going to make your mistake. They're going to get their sack. They're going to put you in a long down and distance. They're going to come after you and and get to you on the long down and distance. You can't convert against those because their talent's too good to on the back end. And they don't make mistakes and all of these kind of things And the Chiefs of last year in the playoffs, that might have been a really good answer for them. Honestly, they were making lots of mistakes. They couldn't find the deep ball. They were impatient a little bit, ultimately got bounced. They made too many mistakes and Mahomes was putting the ball in harm's way. It's just not the case this year. It's just not the case at all. Mahomes is extremely patient he's getting the ball out. he's accurate underneath they don't need the big play down the field of the time. they're not hunting that they can pick you apart and work their way all the way down the field without any splash plays you know under 10 yards he's been incredibly accurate this postseason and this season in general he's able to get away from pressure even with his injury last week he was able to get away from pressure or get the ball out there's just way more answers for the chiefs than there have been in the past so I'm worried about getting his group because I think he's gonna do exactly what you said. I think he's gonna come out and say our guys are better than their guys. We're gonna go after him with four and we're gonna drop numbers into coverage, take away the big plays, and we're gonna force you to go the whole length of the field without making mistakes, without us getting your quarterback and all that kind. And Mahomes has not had a turnover worthy play in the playoffs. Like he has just been cleaner, smarter, quicker, more efficient, accurate than last year. And I think that those are all things that I would be pretty worried about if I were an Eagles guy.
0: I agree with you. You know, the thing they they preach, to your point, is perfection, patience, and playmakers. That's like the three things that they hark on about, which is force them to be perfect, force them to be patient, and then bet on your playmakers in space. Um, and that's great. And you can win a whole ton of games like that. And they've won a ton of games, and they could be overwhelming, and they might be overwhelming. You know, if they just blanket that receiving core of the Chiefs outside of Kelsey, then, yeah, that could well work for them. What What was interesting, I spoke to Nick Rawless last night, the Eagles linebacker coach, and I was asking him about how they feel about setting up their rush to either contain Mahomes in the pocket or allowing him to escape. What kind of, they were thinking, where do they prefer him to be? And there was a real clear indication that they do not like him being in the pocket. And I asked him about, um, you know, some of the odd mirror stuff that I've written about before, which is these flush concepts where you set your rush to flush the quarterback. If you're terrified, as everyone is, of the quarterback breaking the pocket and going and making a play. The best thing you can do is set your rush so you know where he's escaping. You give him the alley and then you just corral to that alley because you know where he's breaking the pocket to. And I asked Rollis about this last night and whether or not they were going to include a number of the mirror stuff in the game plan and try and bait Patrick Mahomes if they're rushing four to break to a spot and then rally with their linebacking core. And he said he made a really interesting point where he said the teams they had studied who had run a lot of the mirror. Now, he didn't want to go into specific game plans of Ob-Mira, obviously, but he had said the people they'd studied in general, he felt they had sacrificed more by doing that consistently than they actually gained on the one or two plays it was meaningful, which to me indicated they think that he is more dangerous now standing in there getting to three to four to five because if you look at their route distribution this season, you know, Kelsey has had the the one or two monster games where he gets 16, 17 targets, something crazy, but for the most part, there was a great NFL next-gen stat thing put out there where, you know, Tyreet used to subsume 30% of their air yardage share. Now it's down to 24% for the highest player. He is really, really distributing the ball and working really quickly. And so I, from what they were saying last night, I I think there's a world in which they do bring more heat early on, because if they're not willing to say, let's set up some of the Auburn stuff, we think that's a sacrifice. That's you saying that just playing with four and hoping for the best is a bit of a concern because we think if he stands in there, he might, he might dice us. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I have like you, you know, Nick Rollis is not the DC. It's not his game plan. I have the concerns with Gannon too. I just hope that they have, um, you know, war gamed out for the idea that those guys don't win. Now I think they will win. Now the Chiefs line is really, really good too. They don't, you know, it's not the Eagles quite, but it's really, really good. Um, and so, but they have to be prepared for. What do we do if he's just getting rid of it so quickly? And you know, Reid and the are so good at springing guys open through play design. What if he's just tossing the ball to guys wide open seven yards down the field, and he's happy to play patient, perfect football because he can play patient, perfect football as he has done all this year? And when the, the playmaker parts there too, they have all the playmakers too, man. This is the Super Bowl. You know, they, they they've got a ton of playmakers as well. So I just hope that they have a willingness to bring some really, really creative stuff. If it's not getting home with four and they don't just stick dogmatically to this philosophy they've embraced.
1: And that's, if you're Philly, you're banking on to me more than my, well, maybe you are banking on homes, making a mistake or doing something like that. I don't think that's going to, that's as likely to happen, but maybe you're banking on these receivers, you know, and them being the issue in this game. And I, the Chiefs' receivers have been fine this season. Like they've been good. They've been solid, but there is this reality of that it, it, this is Super Bowl, and you're counting on Marquez valdes scantling who's coming off a, a heater of a game, <laughs> to continue that in the Super Bowl. And you're you're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, who has been a good, fine player this season. Um, Kadarius Tony, who dropped a touchdown last week, and in general is just an enigmatic player. Although he's obviously extremely talented, he could be the MVP of the Super Bowl, or he could be the you know the goat of the the. the, the <laughs> the reason that the Chiefs missed a huge opportunity like he was last week, let's put it that way. Yeah,
0: he could could score a 75-yard... kind of guys... Yeah, Tony could score a 75-yard touchdown or have the game losing fumble (laughs) on, like, the third snap of the game, you know? Yep.
1: Exactly right. Like, there is... Absolutely, any outcome with him, I would be, uh, I would not be surprised by. And so, yeah, if you're counting on those types of guys, and you know, does anybody fumble? Does somebody drop another touchdown like last week? You know, those kind of ga- in a game that I expect this to be, which I expect this to be close. I expect it to be high scoring. I expect opportunities like turnovers and things like that to swing this game for sure. Um, Because I don't think any unit will dominate any other unit, like defensively at least. I don't think either units going to be dominant in this game. And so, yeah, I think you you need those skill players to. Be at their best or be good at least. And obviously the great equalizer would be Travis Kelsey in this game um, for Kansas City. And that, yeah, you could say all that about everybody else. How do you stop Travis Kelsey? Like, is there a way, Ollie? Like they're talking about these made-up routes that he and he runs and Mahomes knows and the fact that he has all this freedom and flexibility and it's impossible to double him and all these different things. Is there a way to like even slow this guy down? Have we seen a good scheme for it? Have we seen anybody come up with any answers? Especially this year where the Chiefs' receivers have wideouts haven't been as good. Is there any path, you think, if you're Jonathan Gantzian to, like, tweaking something you do to be able to defend Travis Kelsey differently than other teams have?
0: I I don't think so. Um, You know, the, the Bengals, to be fair to them, you know, everyone says about doubling Travis Kelsey, they ran 87 double. All the time, which was basically one man free in the middle of the field, and then you doubled 87, and then you just hope for the best. <laughs> you put your hands yep. to God and say, please, uh, everyone else win. Um, they did that. As you said, what is so different about the Chiefs, and I mentioned this in the pod last week, is that the enemy and reed know all your rules. And so through formation and alignment and the thing that Gannon has that's an issue, which is why I want him to be a little bit frisky and change some of his stuff is it's the most rules based defense in the league, right? Their their trips, checks, their splitbacks, every single check is really, really dogmatic. Sean Syed wrote for us all the rules on my sub stack. Right? So Reed and the enemy know exactly right. what it is. And not only do they know your rules and then know how to manipulate them and how to break them, which is what they did even when Lou was trying to run double teams against Travis Kelsey. They, w- they would get into like a one by one stack. They would do the short motions. of in short motion. Typically in the Chiefs offense is a complete like, oh, we don't like the pre-snap picture. So with short motion just to change it ever so slightly usually to attack a rule, because we know that their stack rules are different than whatever we came out in on what they showed us in the pre-snap picture these routes on air won't work versus those rules. But if we change it to a stack and they have to check, we think that we've got a chance. That, that's how they do things. It's very, very on the fly with these guys. Then you have the, the part you're talking about, which is they'll, they'll call a route that's, you know, Travis Kelsey on a snag. And he's like, yeah, no, once I got out down the field, six yards, that, that wasn't going to be open. So I'll just move to where I'll be open and Patrick will find me. So it, it's, just, it's just not possible. And what was interesting um, in the Bengals game was they, after the Bengals kind of did the in-and-out double on him. They put him on way more runaway routes, way more runaway routes, which is basically we want to get him catching the ball on the move about 10 yards down the field. And I do think against the Eagles, who I imagine will put a ton of depth in the defense, as you said, kind of compress the field in the short area of the field, try and take away easy throws, but they'll have a big gulf between the secondary and the linebacking core. That is what you want to try and and hope for and hit if you're the Chiefs, I think, and uh, taking that away for the Eagles has very little to do with coverage or any kind of checks and is just pure about can we get home before Mahomes finds him. And if we're able to bracket him deep down the field, where else is he going with the ball? And as he goes through three and four and check down, can we get home there too? So I just don't see a world in which they're going to be able to take him out of the game. It's more, does he do enough damage? Or can you make it a 16 target, 10 catch, but not quite effective game, right? Not four or five game breakers and more like just efficiency. And if anything, we're happy with him getting the ball because that meant... Uh, Patrick turning down an option two or three that could have come open that would have maybe been more effective. Mm-hmm.
1: Very interesting. I'm can't wait to see it. I mean, I, I, I just pumped. in general the how, how they match up with them is fascinating to me too. Like just what put like what player to use since Chauncey Garner Johnson came back from injury. They've basically been like, Hey, you're going to be, you're going to play in the slot, uh, you know, rather than him playing deep, which he was early in the season. And obviously in his Saints tenure, he was playing more, uh, in, in the slot and so he's kind of back in that role now and um, you know I think that could be like the heavy I mean think about just the mentality about those players like yeah. absolutely will never get punked like neither player like they just have no design like you know just uh, play with a ton of swagger, ton of confidence ton of chippiness like I think Chauncey Gardner Johnson is going to try to get under his skin and try to irritate and try to get him commit penalties things like that like I think that's going to be his approach and I think it's going to be the approach of, of many of the Eagles defenders but it's just going to be fascinating to see if that stuff works and how they're able to defend him just in general. And uh, I think Gardner Johnson is, his name became popular because of a maker for sure. Down to down play to play. I think he leaves some things to be desired, especially if you're going to ask him to play a man coverage. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily his strength. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm totally fascinated by the individual matchups on this side. Where the other one, I'm just fascinated by the scheme when the Eagles have the ball. Like how does Bags attack this juggernaut that we've seen just tear through the league this season? I'm really interested in okay, I think the Chiefs are pretty talented on offense, even if you say their wide receiver room is, is pretty decently average. I just this the the game types of these players working against each other. Um I think it's gonna be really, really good theater. Okay. Sounds good.
0: And that's the thing that me, for me that it just makes it so exciting is that you have, I mean, in no world would anyone claim that the Chiefs are as talented as the Eagles, right? It's just not as talented a roster. Now what they have is a really, really good offensive line, a all-time quarterback to tight end combination and an all-time tight end, all-time playmaker, and then the quarterback of his generation. And then they've got the, the chaos maverick mad wizard on defense. And that's what kind of levels the playing field is that we're all going in, I think, saying the Eagles are front to back, both sides of the ball, a better team. Every department, essentially, they are more talented than the Chiefs. But we all know that this quarterback is so special. This offense has been so prolific all season that he could just have the game of all games. And this could be one of the legendary Montana Brady type Super Bowl performances. And it would be almost silly to bet against Patrick Mahomes. I, I still believe the Eagles are the better team, and I think that will win out. And I think not being able to have answers on defense, what the Eagles do, and the fact they can probably control the flow of the game more with what they do on offense is a decisive factor. But I, as good as the Eagles' defense is on paper and as well as they've played this season, it's the Gannon to Mahomes thing. It's the Gannon to Mahomes thing. It's, it, it's them saying things like last night that they don't, necessarily believe in that ob-mirror world, which is exactly what I'll be trying to do, which is saying this guy's been so effective all season, and maybe they're you know, they're just bullshitting because they don't want to give the game plan away, but he's been so effective standing in and delivering all season that I would say, why don't we try and tease him into embracing some of the jailbreak stuff? And he still does it, you know, Enough and he does it at the highest level, still. When he does do it, I would be trying to force him to break out all the time and turn it into backyard football and, and, and hope for the best. I don't want him standing in there and delivering. That would be my preference if I was the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: you know, I think his points were well taken and well said. A couple just footnotes that I wanted to kind of add in this game. Like, yep. I, that I don't know the two things I don't know we're talking that much about. I think the, the Chiefs. The Chiefs' ability to run the football. their MO, even the Eagles, we said, they, as much as they might run it, they pass, set up the run. That's really what they do in, in the game, and especially in early downs, and they're smart about when they do it. Both teams are smart about when they deploy the run. You know, they ever hear us griping about, oh, they're spamming the run on first, and things like that. They're smart about when they deploy the run, and they're effective when they deploy it. The Chiefs. Uh, were 10th this season in rush EPA, but on first down, when they did run the football, they were, I believe, second in the NFL in EPA per rush um, this season. So they have a good sense of when it's smart to run the ball on all downs, but especially on first down, which I think aids that ability to piece things together, right? If you are going to run the ball on first down, and obviously they don't do it that much. Neither of these teams do, but when you do it, it, has to be effective when you do it. And the Chiefs, both these teams have obviously found a way to do that. But I think the Eagles, everybody expects it. The Chiefs has kind of crept up on people. They've run the ball well, especially in the playoffs. Like, Pacheco has been a difference maker for this team in a good way, and that's an interesting part of this. The other thing I'll say about the Chiefs' offense: fourth down, they're amazing at it. They've converted like eighty-one percent of their fourth downs yeah. this season, but they've only gone for like eleven times. It's like twenty-seventh in the NFL. They like hardly ever go. On, oh, this is fourth and specifically three yards or less. They pass on nine of those eleven times, so they're putting the ball in his hands. They're asking him to cook and, and create things, and oftentimes it is a schemed up play. Obviously, they're they love those shovel passes and things like that, but. I think in this game, you're going to have to see Andy Reid. I trust Andy Reid more than any other coach in this game. But the game management situation stuff. In a game that I expect the margins to be razor thin, how does he treat those situations? Is he going to be aggressive on fourth down, more aggressive than he's been this season, knowing that this is the Super Bowl? This is going to probably, I think, going to be an offensive battle. And you have the best quarterback in the league, Patrick Holmes. Like, how are you going to treat that in those situations? Are you going to be aggressive in fourth and three yards or less? Because I think we know Sirianni will be. Now, maybe he goes away from his nature, but we go into this game confident that Sirianni will be looking for those edges and we'll be finding them in terms of his game management. If there's one thing I worry about with Andy Reid is how does he manage the game in those situations, whether it's red zone, 45 yard and in, opponent side of the field fourth and three or less, fourth and five or less. Heck, like I don't care. Like this Patrick Mahomes we're talking about. I think he's got to be the more aggressive coach or as aggressive as a coach to give the Chiefs the chance to win.
0: I uh, 100% agree. It reminds me of Belichick in that Eagle Super Bowl when he kept banking that at some point they'll slow Nick Foles and he wouldn't go for it on fourth down. It's like at some point you got to read the room and read the game. And I I, going, I mentioned earlier about stealing possessions, like an onside kick, a champ, you know, something, just something, going for two after the first touchdown just to change the math of the game. You know, that that that's the kind of thing I think you should be looking at. He should be saying, I have Michael Jordan 1996 and I'm putting the ball in his hand every single time. That, that's what this comes down to. And any chance I can get to try to get the ball back to him, whether it's sending the house to force a turnover, whether it's getting an onside kick, whatever odds I can tilt to get him the ball for as many possessions as possible, that has to be the game plan. If we win 50 to 48, that's good we win. You know, that's that's what I think Andy Reid's mindset has to be. Um, We'll see one one big shout out I'll give to Andy Reid, this is the point you mentioned before, is them committing to Isaiah Pacheco early in the season when he was not playing well, when he was misreading a ton of things, when he was a disaster in pass pro, all for the fact that he knew, look, we're going to be playing in January. And we might see all the drop eight stuff the Bengals ran last year. And I believe in balance. In balance to really help the efficiency of Mahomes when he has to throw the ball rather than having him drop back 60 times a game. And it's paid off for them. As you said, first down run rate is through the roof. Now they face an Eagles defense who has struggled stopping the run all season. They've been pretty excellent, to be fair, since about week 12. I think they're seventh in EPA per play if you include the postseason. But that still tilts ever so slightly towards the Chiefs. And I do think that they're going to have to try and run the Eagles Eagles out of those two deep looks, and if you do that, that's when Mahomes is really cooking with gas. Because if they have to spin down every single snap, that that's a, that, that they won't do because they just don't do that philosophically. But if you can force them to do that on early downs where you can then up the early down pass rate, that that could be pretty pivotal to the game. Um, before yeah. we go, do you want to do some prop bets? Should we? Do you want to want to fire rapid yeah, fire should, through some all, of these props?
1: Do, you, do we? Yeah. Do we want to say who we think is going to win too?
0: Yeah. Let's let's go with that first. Who I think we kind win? of. It.
1: We've kind of indicated, I you have at least anyway. I don't know if I have. I I actually am picking the Chiefs to win this game. I am for two simple reasons. We don't have to rehash everything we just talked about, but I I think Patrick Holmes is just I trust him more than Jalen Hurts, and I trust uh, Steve Spagnuolo more than Jonathan Gannon. And and it comes down to those two things for me. If Andy, if I believe Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni can be a push. Then I I believe that Spags has that advantage and Mahomes has that advantage and those are the biggest factors in the game to me those three factors now there are certainly other factors that absolutely matter and they, most of them are going to go in Philadelphia's direction for sure because they're more talented in other places but I just think that uh, I think Kansas City has two advantages in that way that I'll trust them even though I don't think I'm not saying I don't think Mahomes will throw for 400 or that uh, that uh, Spags will completely shut down the Eagles' offense but I just think there will be enough from those guys to be better than what Hurts and Gannon do.
0: Yeah, all week so far I've said Eagles 31-28 because I'm defaulting to who I think is the better team. And every time I say it, there's like a a brain fart and a hiccup because I'm like, why am I doing this? What am I doing? Why am I picking against yeah. Michael Jordan? Is pri- what is happening? You know, it's like I'm going. You know, but I'm Malone and those teams—that's a really good team. That's a great team. You know, they pass, they move the ball, they swing, swing, swing. They hit the open shot. It's like, yeah, but they have Michael Jordan, man. <laughs> you know, to pick Michael Jordan every time, and you're probably going to do pretty well. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'm taking the Eagles slightly, and I feel not good about it at all because, you know, I adore Spags, and I think Mahomes has just <laughs> taken his game somehow. I mean, there's absolutely no hole in his game in the slightest. Anything that was ever even, mm-hmm. not a concern, but was like, uh, oh, he's not a 10 out of 10, now he's like, yeah, I'm a 10 out of 10 now in every single category. So, um, I, yeah, I will feel buffoonish on Sunday evening when, uh, when he's picking up another Super Bowl MVP award, but I, I will take the Eagles as my official pick.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. There we go. We're I, I like that we're divided on it. I think it's good because we can both easily see the what the, the outcome where the other is right. But I like that it's that it's going. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to make up for the championship round. Let's put it that way. Um,
0: okay. High scoring, so,
1: explosive, exciting.
0: So let let's rattle through some of these prop bets quickly. Um, MVP. Right. Who do you have? Um, uh, we know who the main ones would be, right? It's Mahomes, Hurts. Obviously, the the storyline guys. Is there an outside? Uh, outside a favorite person, you've kind of got your eyes tabbed on as could be the MVP. It's usually if a defensive play. It makes a crazy play. Is like how you steal it away from a quarterback.
1: Uh, I think Asan Reddick has a storyline going for him. Obviously, if I am gonna probably pick a Chief if I go in the Chiefs direction. I think Asan Reddick has a storyline direction kind of going for him here, building here. I mean, he's been one of the best players in the playoffs so far, and and, and through two games, he's been. A huge difference maker, obviously, regardless of what you want to say about the players that he's beaten for sacks. The the, the reality is that the box score looks good for him, and, and I think he's obviously played well too. And so, I think he could be one of Philadelphia wins if Kansas City wins. I'm gonna go Kadarius Tony, just going in. Yes. Line with what we said before, like because it can only take two touches, but he could change the game. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I'm I'll go with a player like that.
0: That's a great one. There's also like a sky more return. You know, return to f- mm-hmm. completely flip the game is one you could look at. If you're to, you've got to build paths to like the victory. For that, the Hassan Reddick shout is amazing. You know, Chris Jones was the one I was on earlier, like, oh, he has to win MVP if they're going to win the game. And the more I I watched the tape, I was like, oh, but I think they can eliminate him for a lot lot of the game. Though, still, if he has two or three game changing moments, then he he could win it. But Aaron Donald didn't win it, and he was the most game changing defensive player we've had in modern football in in a Super Bowl. He literally won the game for them, and they didn't get the award. Um, So I think (laughs) Reddick is a great shout because it would be if Mahomes didn't play great. Maybe people would look at the defense, and you can already envisage the strip sack fumble to decide the game. Mm-hmm. I can already see that in my head. So I think Reddick is an unbelievable shout um, to win Super Bowl MVP. If the, if you're in on the Eagles, obviously Hurts has the storyline. But what you're saying there is that they were able to stop Patrick Mahomes, and there has to be a moment when you stop Patrick Mahomes. And so I think Reddick is a is a great shout. Um, couple of other of the uh, there's a really fun one that is you know there's always the over under on the national anthem people love that one Mm -hmm. what what um what um what that mgm i think has done this year which is a wonderful companion to that is is the first scoring drive of the game over or under the length of time of the national anthem so you have to kind of oh do my. loads of maths in your head. Of okay, so I think the I think the national anthem is going to be like what two minutes, two seventeen. Who's going to get the ball first? The Chiefs would have to drive the length of the field. I'm going to go no on that one. But I think it's a, it's an intriguing thing to track. You got to get your stopwatch out for both the national anthem and then keep your stopwatch out for the opening drives.
1: I think the opening drive will be longer. I think it'll result in a score, but I think it'll be longer than the national anthem.
0: Okie doke. Okay, um, let's look through. Okay, here's another couple of ones for you. Let's do some quick football ones, then we'll do some non-football ones. Will there be a successful two-point conversion, John? Yes is plus 200. No is a heavy minus 275 favorite.
1: I'll say no.
0: I'm going to go yes, because I think Sirianni is a crazy cap. And I think that on their opening score, he could Uh. say, let's go for two now. And uh, and really flip.
1: Yeah, probably the best two offenses in the NFL at at those situations. I don't even know the numbers. I'm just, just schematically in red zone packages, and I'm just thinking probably really effective in those situations.
0: Definitely the two most terrifying. Like when they say they're going for you, like, ah, shit, we're not going to stop this. (laughs) 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 Most receiving yards in the game. Most receiving yards in the game. The favorites are, of course, Kelsey, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, plus 775 is is an interesting one. If you've got Tony on MVP, people, you got to double up and get Tony on the receiving yards, right?
1: probably yeah could come on a rush too I guess if you're thinking about him but yeah most likely you're right coming a receiver so he'd be the sleeper there I think um I'll say I think AJ Brown's gonna have an awesome game he's been a little quiet in the playoffs so I think he's having an awesome game
0: another excellent shout okay let's move to some of the the fun ones we're gonna go now to Rihanna the halftime show very excited john i'm very excited to see rihanna's return to music i'm gonna be there in person and watch the halftime show i'm very very much looking forward to it and um, you're a big is... rihanna fan ah oh, big riri head big riri head The the one times i'm not watching film you know i'm just cranking the riri tape um This is to occur, and I only really want to note on one here, but this is uh, to occur during Rihanna's halftime performance is is what the name of the prop is. And there's all things like, will she wear a bucket hat? Will she announce if she's pregnant? Will Jay-Z appear? What what stands out to me? This is fascinating. This is one of those Vegas knows stuffs things, right? Vegas knows things. That's why their buildings Mm -hmm. are so tall. Rihanna to confirm that her lyrics were censored by the NFL, is a minus 105 favorite. It's odds-on that somehow whether through talking, bear in mind, people, they pre-record the, the you know, they lip-sync the, they, they film it in the day, the, the backing track, basically, and then they play it so you can't do a political statement during the Super Bowl. So she would have to somehow confirm she was censored without speaking, and that's a favorite, and that's ahead of the fact she would open an umbrella when she's going to obviously do a song with fake rain called Umbrella. So, I, all
1: right.
0: I, prepare yourselves, people. Vegas knows stuff. <laughs> I don't have a take on that. But that <laughs> is,
1: I actually might. I usually don't even care to watch that. I don't just don't care at all. People like can't wait for halftime show. I usually just never watch. I don't care. But I might have to watch to see if that happens. Now,
0: well, yeah. If she does something wild, we could be have a delayed second half. So you're gonna have to keep, you're gonna have to keep your eyes peeled on this one. It could change, the, flip the script like when Beyonce turned the lights out. Um, number <laughs> of beers sold over under 120,000 beers sold at Super Bowl in, uh, what is it, State Farm Stadium. And I will say, just to help you out, the capacity of State Farm Stadium is 63,000, which means you're looking at two beers per head. Lots of research went into the home-and-home podcast this week, John, as you can see.
1: Uh, It's got to be over then, right? Like, it has to be, because I'm just, I mean, two per, even if a lot of people in the stadium... Are drinking there's gonna be so many people that go four or five right
0: unless <laughs> yeah. they have cutoffs i don't know if they've got i'm just oh, i'm I, going over you you dare to tell the eagles fans there's a cutoff are you kidding me <laughs> no chance no chance. the only way you would go under here is that there's so much corporate seats there's so much non-fan seats at the super bowl that it kind of messes with the metrics a little bit if it was any other team but the philadelphia Eagles, the, those guys will go 10 11 12 deep there's a halftime show that puts 45 oh, for minutes sure. extra on the game guys so they they, they are they are smashing the over on that one
1: well i think also maybe it plays the advantage right there's people there that are really don't care who wins so they're just looking to have a good time <laughs> and maybe they're trying to throw back a few more extra plus everybody who goes is affording insane tickets so the price of beers being insane isn't going to matter to them at all like they're the people that are rolling it so i think i'm going over for sure and
0: there's also a world in which there's a blowout And so you're just bored for, you know, the final quarter. And it's like, you know what? Let's just go crank it until the end of the game. Um, Okay, last one. Last one. The the famed. The famed. What color will the first liquid be poured on the game-winning coach? I will let you know that lime, green, yellow, club together is the favorite which I think indicates they think that the Eagles will win. Orange is the second favorite, and I have done my my tape study, John, and I know that Andy Reid, whenever he wins big games, gets dunked in orange Gatorade. So if you are on the Chiefs, roll with orange. That is their, their good luck charm during big Andy Reid okay. games. You can also get purple. I was actually
1: going to say orange, so that's perfect.
0: Oh, there you go. You're going to say orange. So you can also get purple, red, and blue, but you're going with orange for, for Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Yeah. Orange,
1: yes, orange, orange.
0: All right then that'll do it for this edition. Boy, of the have one, I have one I have one more
1: oh, go, on. go on I have one more uh over under Ollie Connolly tweets during the Super Bowl
0: <laughs> one and at one and a half <laughs> Wow you, you you can buy the hook I like that one and a half I would have said that a, a, a <laughs> point 0.5 will he tweet <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I just think it's the Super Bowl you're not like with the halftime show even counts like all this stuff you're not gonna have one take during I'm just over under. One and a half for the Super Bowl from the from the from the pregame from an hour pregame. Let's put it that way, from an hour pregame until <laughs> the end of the postgame, like on-field <laughs> session. I mean, just everybody's getting, to, I'm just wondering, is it going to be over or under?
0: Yeah, I, I could tilt the Vegas scales on this one. You know, if Vegas really did their research, they would That's know that, that Ollie Conley during games tweets like zero times, but if Spags is involved, it's like 45 right. tweets of just of just me like lathering myself in Spagsness. So yeah, Spags is going to have to do fun stuff to win the game. And so I will just be having a meltdown uh, online and in person <laughs> watching what Spags does. <laughs>
1: I think I'm putting it in over. I, I believe you're going to pull out more than I think you're going to have two or more tweets during the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, you believe in, in me as a content creation machine. I'm sure that, uh, you know, now I work for this big media company. Someone will probably tap me on the back, the shadowy figure and say, hey, man, you know, for the Super Bowl, could you please do some social engagement? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hey, I-
1: if that happens, I'll take the win. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, man. This was really fun. I cannot wait for this. This is gonna be this is gonna be a blast. Yes. I really, really believe that it's gonna be an all-time up and down score fest, which would just be the most fun. With one of the DCs doing something really cool, or a player's having an outrageous moment of Reddit. You know, what's great about this is to decide the game, as always in Super Bowls, the best players have to do something magical. And so it's. I'm. I'm really, really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I think it's gonna be everything we hope that the last two games would be, and more.